Morning, everybody. Welcome to The Winds. My name's Dave, and we want to get right to it in John chapter 17. Now, listen, there's a, a little saying that Christians have. You've probably heard it, that you're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world, but not out of it either. But that, that's actually not in the Bible. That, that little saying, I, I didn't know that. I always thought it was in there somewhere. I just didn't know how to use my Bible good enough to find it. But it's actually a phrase that Billy Graham coined when trying to explain this piece of the Bible from, from John chapter 17. So let's read it right now. Jesus, when praying to his father about his disciples, said, I have given them your word. That's you. Any person who loves and follow Jesus has received this word, the word of the Father. And the world has hated them because they, us, are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I did not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And then again, he says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now, th there's two ways that the term world is used throughout the scripture. One way is the good world, the way God intended it to be. Because remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I mean, God is invested in the world. He made it. He loves it. He made it the way he wants it in the first place. And then there's the other way that the term world is used throughout the scripture to talk about the world as it's been corrupted the deterioration of the world. When Jesus says that you and I are not of the world, that's what he's talking about. We, we clearly are meant for this place. E even linguistically, there's a relationship between the words for people and the words for planet in Hebrew and in Aramaic. I mean, we're, we're, we belong here. This is a good place, but we don't want to be corrupted by the systems, by, by the prejudices, by the values of a corrupt world. That's an important distinction. Because I think a lot of Christian people really screw up the in the world but not of the world thing. I mean, we all screw it up from time to time, but it starts by people getting scared that somehow the world is going to, you know, pollute you when in fact God's own spirit lives inside of you. You know the old scripture, greater is he that lives in you than he that is in the world. I mean, you've got authority giftings, anointing, power. You, you've got God's very own words inside of you, and you don't need to be scared of the world. You're here to redeem the world, to cooperate with God and be a missionary into the world. That's you. That's me. That's what it means to be a Christian person. And my, my mentor, Len, he taught me this great lesson. He said, in this context, we as Christians have to understand that there is no distinction between the church and the world, meaning you're not supposed to just work to heal the church. You're not supposed to just cooperate with God and minister to other Christian people. You're supposed to minister to everybody always at all times and in all seasons. That's your calling, man, not to just be in some secret little club, but to have a ministry, and that's our topic for today. Not only that you need to have one, but also that you probably already got one, and we want to teach you a little bit how, how to use it and employ it. And I, I just, is anybody, are you dead? Did you, did Simone suck all the energy out of the room? They played the fun song, I spilled coffee all over myself. No? Oh, all right, it's going to be like that. I got you. Yeah, yeah. Remember when the Lord told you to break up with my church? Yeah, good job. Yeah, no, that's all right. So that's what we want to talk about today. Now, I, I do like that word ministry because you have a ministry. You, according to the scripture, you're a part of a royal priesthood. You are ministers. And the church isn't the thing that happens in this room or on this property or all the beautiful properties around Jackson. You're the church. And everywhere you go, that's where God's church is. Every word you say, God's preaching through you. Every interaction you have with the people, that's how God intends to minister to 
Jackson to Hillsdale to Michigan. And so, so you got to find out what your ministry is, what your unique ministry is. And that word ministry, I, I like it because it's related to a word administer. You know, like when somebody administers medicine, like a salve, what are they doing? They're healing. And in the same way that we administer medicine to heal a hurting body, we minister to other people to heal hurting souls, hurting relationships, hurting mindsets. And so you got to figure out what your thing is and how you're going to do it. Because you're not just going to do it here. It's not like your ministry is the ministry of just making coffee. No, you make coffee, but your ministry is how you engage people who come up for coffee. Your ministry is how you work alongside the people that you volunteer with. That's your ministry. It's not doing this. No, 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 no. Your ministry is in here. And you got to find a way to release that, man, to identify it, to use it, and to employ it wherever you go. And again, that, that doesn't just have to be in the church. My, again, my, my friend Len, he said, watch this. I'm going to do spiritual direction with my hippie pot-smoking uh, barbecue chef. So spiritual direction, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the term, is one of the oldest Christian disciplines. It goes back almost 1,700 years, and, and it's a way that Christian people will talk to each other and help one another listen and more deeply discern what God might be saying to us. And so Len, he's looking out at this guy, big fat dude, you know, it's mustard stain on here, he's smoking a big joint, you know, flipping burgers in the backyard, and this guy not interested in following Jesus, he's not interested in anything other than just the next joint and the joint after that, and maybe, you know, whatever he's going to eat when he gets the munchies. So Len says, I'm going to do spiritual direction with this guy. I said, oh, okay, I felt like I was on candid camera. He walks over to him, and he starts talking, and I can only vaguely hear, but what I hear is Len saying, that, that's God speaking to you. That, that prompting that you feel, that's the Holy Spirit at work showing you how to be a better father. And five minutes later, the pot-smoking hippies flipping burgers going, you know what, I think God is talking to me, which is incredible because it means in the church and out of the church with non-believers or non-Christians or people of other religions or people of no religion or people who forgot their religion, it means God is working through you to heal the world. You just gotta find out what your ministry is. Now, have you heard the term spiritual gifts? You heard this before? It's a term we use in the scripture. It basically talks about your kind of spiritual personality and sort of the tools in your toolkit. But here's the problem. There's three different lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible. And depending on how you add them up, there's either 15, 21, or 28 of them. I mean, you thought that pastor math was unique to pastors. Oh, no, so right at the beginning, nobody could count. So I want to simplify this for you, that all the spiritual gifts and all the ways that God wants to use you can really be simplified into three things. It can be simplified into stuff you do with your mouth, stuff you do with your hands, stuff you do with your mind. Now, you probably don't have just one gift or one way that you can minister, but, but I want you to just think about, well, well let's start with hands. Anybody have a, a, a sweetly grandmother that they just love to spend time with? My Granny Doss looks like the lady who takes care of Tweety Bird, you know, Sylvester and Tweety Bird. She, she was raised real conservative Christian, okay, and she n never one single time cut her hair in her entire life. I don't know how old she was when she died, 4,000, but I mean, her... She was like one of those Japanese horror movies. I mean, her hair went down to her ankles, and she would wear it in a bun, and the bun was like a sourdough loaf from Panera. I mean, it was just huge. And you'd go to Granny Doss's house, and she had this ministry of hospitality. Now, she didn't call it that. She called it buttermilk biscuits and iced tea. So you'd come over there, and she'd make you biscuits, and you'd sit down and drink her sweet tea, and, and you just felt 
healed just by being there. It's not anything she said. It's the fact that she made the biscuits. She brought you into her home. She, she has this, this ministry of what she could do with her hands. You know, some other people, you know, they, they got the ministry of just, just giving a great hug. Now, if you're a creepy old man, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> I'm talking about the sweet people, the innocent people who, you know, keep, keep their hands up here where the Lord can see them. Um, <laughs> but, but sometimes you get around somebody, they give you a hug, man, and you just feel like, man, I needed that. My whole life, I just needed somebody to communicate somehow that, that I'm going to be okay. And that, that's the ministry of touch. It's what you do with your hands. And it, and it doesn't always have to be touchy-feely. I mean, sometimes what you do with your hands can be something like teaching a project to somebody, showing them how to change their own oil. It's just being with somebody, not talking about anything in particular, just communicating through activity that you're part of the same team, part of the same family. You can paint walls or paint portraits. But the fact is, when you use your hands and you understand that's how God works through you to heal the world, you know, this is my ministry. And, of course, you got people who minister with their mouths. Maybe they give great advice. Maybe they have great insight. Maybe they, they're, they're prayers. Now, I know we all pray, but do you ever meet somebody who just likes to pray with you so that you can hear what they're praying? So that, so that you know the words they're speaking over you. In, in my childhood church, there was a man named Ordeen, and he used to, like, booby trap us with prayer. You know, usually when we were misbehaving in church, you know, we're passing notes or drawing funny pictures or whatever, and, and he'd come around and put his arm around you, bless God, help David. <laughs> like, you know, you think you need to run to the restroom for just a moment or something. And, but, and, and, I, and I never liked getting prayed for by Ordeen, but, but I still felt, I felt better after. I felt like here was an old guy who probably just wanted to yell at me. And, and instead, he was yelling for me. He was, he was championing all us little guys and gals in the presence of God for all the angels in heaven. That, maybe that's you. Maybe you're somebody who likes to sit down and have coffee with people and just, and just share what you learned when you got your gray hair. I mean, maybe, maybe that's you. You could have a ministry with your hands. You could have a ministry with your mouth. You could have a ministry with your mind. Maybe you have a, an intellectual capability of taking complex problems and breaking them down in really simple, simple ways. Maybe you have a, a, an insight or, or, or a means of perception where you can see what's going on in the lives of other people and, and you can help them. I mean, that's what coaches do, right? Great basketball coaches, Great soccer coaches. I had a great coach in, in college rugby, Mike Martin. And, and he could just take the most complex plays, the most complicated defenses, and make them so simple to understand. Maybe you're a coach. But here's the thing. However it is, you have to figure out how God is working through you and in you to bless and serve other people. Not the least of which is because that's one of the most powerful antidotes to depression that we know of. Now, a couple years ago, we wrote a book on happiness. My friend Greg and I, we researched all kinds of stuff about, you know, the psychological underpinnings, the, the philosophical underpinnings of happiness. And one of the great keys to happiness and overcoming depression is just plain old figuring out why you're here and doing that. And you're not here for a paycheck. You're not here for a job. You're not here to listen to a sermon. God has you as a missionary, as an ambassador, to cooperate with him and heal the world. That's why you're in the world but not of it. 
You're not here to be contaminated by it. You're here to help it, to minister to it. And you've got to figure out the unique shape of your ministry and then lean into it. Because when you find out why you're here, how you've been wired, you press in again and again and again. It gets your focus off of yourself. It gives you a sense of purpose and momentum so that you can do these great things. Now, I know all this from firsthand experience. Because there was a reason I began to study happiness and depression. It's because I have struggled with depression for my entire life. And when I wrote The Adventure of Happiness, people said, well, that must be so cute, you know, because you're effortlessly happy, so you're basically just, you know, sort of traipsing your fingers on the keyboard. And no, no one is effortlessly happy. And I used to bottom out hard. I I was dumb. I didn't know what it was called. You know, but when Carmel and I first got married, you know, when I was in college, I mean, I would have these, we just called it melancholy. I'd have these seasons of melancholy that would hijack me, and they would last for weeks where I was in such a black depression, such a sense of spiritual darkness, I couldn't even lift my head. I couldn't look at you. Now, you only see me on Sundays for the best 30 minutes of your week, but, I mean, <laughs> it's hard for you to understand, but, but this was crippling. And in particular, my, my particular triggers were all about we're all about being a pastor. Because I felt called to be a pastor. In, in seventh grade, I felt God speak to me and tell me this is what I want you to do. But I had this problem is that I, I just wasn't good enough. I don't mean I didn't have the right skills. I mean, I never felt holy enough to be a pastor. Now, I don't have some big secret sin, but I had some incredible heroes not the least of which was my dad. I think the most godly man I ever met was my father. And I would look at him as a pastor, and i go, I, like, I can't measure up. I'm not good like that. And, of course, I knew all these other pastors, guys who were getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning to pray, guys who would travel 100 miles in a week to get to different churches. I even think of our missionaries now in India. We've got one guy pastors 17 churches. All he does in his spare time is pray. Doesn't even have time to eat. Eats eggs with his bare hands. I think, God, I, like, I'm not holy like them. And I would feel horrible about it. And so deeply convicted or conflicted because this is, I know what the Lord has called me to do. And I'm working on it as, as energetically and passionately as I can. But I'm just not holy enough to be a pastor. Well, I remember in a really low moment praying through this at, at the church where I worked at the time. And uh, I was in the auditorium. It was like a Wednesday morning or something, you know. And, and uh, I was up at the front. We called it a sanctuary back then. It's holier sounding. You know, I was up at the, at the altar. And I was praying. And I was on my knees. And I'm, I'm just sobbing, like a- angry, frustrated tears um, because of this. And, uh, and I just, I, I like to pray out loud. And I was praying out loud. And, and I said, God, this effing sucks. And somebody from the church had come in without me knowing about it. And she blurts out, I thought you were supposed to be a pastor. (laughs) Which was the perfect thing to say at that moment. But I tell you all that because because actually that prayer um, is in the book that we released this week. Um, it's the book for which this series is named, um, and we gave it a playful title, you know, Murder, Fantasy, Torment, and Death, 
the prayer journals of the Reverend Dr. David McDonald. Um, but, but it doesn't say effing in here. It says, you know, the juicy word. Uh, we put a little uh, parental advisory on the top. That's why we're not keeping it in our bookstore here. It's because we don't want kids to actually get a hold of it uh, accidentally. Um, but I went, I've been keeping prayer journals since fourth grade. And if there's one thing I know to be absolutely true about prayer, it's that you have to be unflinchingly honest before God. Don't be cute. And God is big enough to handle your F words, even if you're a clergyman. Um, and, uh, and I went through the absolute worst moments of my entire life and found all the prayers that accompanied those moments. And I put them in here for you and for my children, for my closest friends, because one of the great lies and deceptions of the enemy is to convince you when you're bottoming out that no one else has ever felt this way. The enemy will tell you that God can't use you, that you're done, that you're washed up, that you missed your moment, that there is no hope for you because you're, and you're dirty. You're useless, you're stupid. Ain't nobody want you. And I can tell you by the grace of God, it's not true. And I know that because I've lived through it, man. I have fought every one of those battles with my own knees on the ground and my own heart turned towards God. I've been baptized in my tears more time than I care to admit. So what I did is I took all these, I mean, my most shameful moments. I have cut open my veins and bled and then accompanied each one of those with a scripture to say, hey, this, this is the thing that got me through it. Because what I know for sure is that if you keep fighting, God guarantees you're gonna win. You just gotta keep fighting, man. And so here's what I want you to do. Because you got this ministry. You got this ministry. And it doesn't start tomorrow. It doesn't start at lunch. It starts right now. See, these little black cards, here's what I want you to do. There's two parts to it, okay? The part one is this. I want you to write down the single most important truth anyone has ever told you. And this isn't to be cute or crafty or, you know, we're not trying to give you a summer school homework. I'm telling you, these words are life. And you got the opportunity through what you do, through what you write down, to give somebody hope to administer spiritual healing to the people around you. And this room is full of people who are more than conquerors and need to be reminded of it. People against whom no weapon can prosper and need to be reminded of it. And I can tell you, the more I have pressed in to the ministry that God has given me, and I'm not talking about the microphone ministry. I'm talking about the ministry of blessing others, of loving and serving others. The more I am focused on how I can serve you, on how I can serve them, on how I can give my life away, the more depression just doesn't ever go away for good. But its muscles are a lot smaller than they used to be. Those victories are more frequent and more immediate than ever, when we stop worrying about ourselves and how we 
feel bad about ourselves moment to moment to moment and instead start focusing on why we're here. And you, my friends, are here because you got a ministry. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people chosen by God, called out of his darkness and into his wonderful light so you can cooperate with him and heal the world. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us, then we're going to give an offering. Lord Jesus, thank you.